You know, Mark was talking about this Jesus being broken into millions and millions of pieces. Each one of you are one of those million pieces. And each one of you, as a piece of Jesus, is unique. If any of us are missing, then a piece of Jesus is missing. Because there's something in each of us, a part of Jesus, that does not exist in any other person who has ever been or ever will be on the face of this earth. We are his body. We are one. And this communion was not only our communion with him, but it's our common union with one another. And when we take this, we commune with him in our common union with one another. We've been going through Christ's Sermon on the Mount this year. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We haven't quite made it out of Matthew 5 yet. Uh, the sermon's only uh, 14 minutes long. The greatest sermon in the world is only 14 minutes long. We're having a real hard time getting out of it. Uh, I normally speak 20 minutes because I figure if the greatest sermon was only 14, I shouldn't speak more than 20. But we might do a little longer today because we're going to try to finish this in the next two Sundays. So we'll be 6 and 7 go real quick. But just as a reminder, this is the greatest teaching of Christ that we have in a, in a capsulated form. It's 85 to 90% of everything he taught about anything and everything. And if you get this, if we get this, we've got the essence, the heart of Christ's teaching in the New Testament. And he starts off with this area of the Beatitudes. He says, be of, these, of this attitude. And we're, he's talking about these, is, these are not rules for Christians to live. This is what it would look like if you and I were abiding in Christ 24-7. The Sermon on the Mount tells us, it shows us what your life would look like, what my life would look like. He starts off by saying, blessed are those who understand that spiritually they are totally impoverished who understand their need, the brokenness that Mark talked about. Blessed are those who understand their poverty. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All that is good, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? Their self-sufficiency, their acts of independence. They're not abiding. Because the second you and I don't abide in him, what do we abide in? We abide in our flesh. And in our flesh dwells what? No good thing. And it's not full of love. It's not full of joy. It's not full of peace. It's full of anger. It's full of lasciviousness. It's full of greed. It's full of anger. It's not peaceful. It's not joyful. It's fearful. Blessed are those who mourn that, not abiding. They shall be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after all that's good. And who and what is the sum of all that's good? Jesus himself, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hungry. go hungry. He who believes in me shall never go thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after the righteous one. They shall be comforted by who? By what? By the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Those who understand the gospel. Those who understand that we were all running to hell as fast as we could get there and Jesus just tripped some of us. Bang. And we show grace to other people because Jesus has showed grace to us. Blessed are the pure in heart who seek God not for what he'll do for us, but just for who he is. Unmixed in our motives, he says, and they shall see God. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for all that's right and for my name's sake. And none of us desire to be persecuted 
But there's a blessedness that comes because Paul says any man who walks and lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So young people, if you are following Jesus, people are going to say to you, you know, you're, you're a baby or you're silly or you're square or you're this or that. And if you're a businessman and you're not willing to bend this point or give that information out, you may be passed over by promotions. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because there's an intimacy with Jesus that we will have that you can have no other way. Now today we're going to start with Matthew 5, 33. We've just skipped a few verses. And Jesus says, you've heard it's been said you should not swear falsely. But he says, I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. Nor by the earth, for it's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. But let your statements be yes or no. For whatsoever is more than this comes of evil. He said, you've heard not to, not to lie, not to swear falsely. But he says, I tell you, don't swear at all. Neither by the throne of God, nor by his footstool, or by Jerusalem. Because to swear is to be presumptuous. Because what is it, it, when we swear, what are we doing? We're saying, I swear I'll do this. I swear I'll do this. I swear I won't do this. <laughs> James talks about that. He says, you know, don't say you're going to go to such and such city and buy and sell for a while. He says, you don't, even, you don't have any idea what tomorrow holds. Say, if it's the Lord's will, we will go and buy and sell and do this and that. To swear is to be presumptuous. I love the story of this uh, farmer who was going to the market to sell his pig. And he walks by this pastor's house, and the pastor's sitting on the front porch, rocking in his chair, and he says, hello, neighbor. And the farmer says, hello, pastor. And the pastor says, where are you going? And the farmer said, I'm going to sell my pig. And the pastor said, you mean Lord willing? And the farmer said, no, I didn't say Lord willing. I'm just going to go sell my pig. So anyway, the farmer goes off and goes into the woods, and all of a sudden he meets up with some bandits, and they beat him up, and they tell, steal his pig. So about an hour later, he's coming back by the pastor's house, and the pastor says, hello, farmer. The farmer says, hello, pastor. The pastor says, where are you going? The farmer says, I'm going home, Lord willing. <laughs> he got the point. He got the point. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And to say we're going to do this or that is presumptuous. It's self-sufficient. It is not the broken and contrite heart through which Christ fills us and fills us with his life. It is not a meek spirit. I didn't mention the meek a minute ago. That's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. That doesn't mean weak. That means just submitted, for they shall inherit the earth. So Jesus is saying to us, don't say you're going to do this or that. Say, Lord willing. The N-word. Have you ever used the N-word? I will never do that. If you use that word, never do that, that is exactly what you're going to have to do. So what you should say is, I hope I don't ever have to do that. I don't want to do that. Please don't ever make me do that. I would never choose. Nope. I hope not to do that. If you say, I will never choose to do that, then you will have to do that. The N-word, just don't use it by the grace of God. Okay. Then he goes on in 38, and he says, You've heard that it's been said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what is all that about? He said, you've heard it's been said in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, young people, if I punched out your eye, what would you do to me? It would probably be much, much worse retaliation than punching out my eye. And this is what Moses, this is what Moses gave him the law. He knows if a man punches out your eye, chances are you'll take off his head. The law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was given to limit retaliation. That we would not retaliate any more than the harm that we received. So if a man takes out your tooth, you can't respond any more than a tooth. Or an eye and eye. But if he takes out your tooth, you can't take out of his eye. If he takes out your eye, you can't take off his head. So Jesus is basically saying, you've heard that it's been said, you should not retaliate. He said, you, you, should, you should limit your retaliation. But he says, I'm telling you, do not retaliate at all. Do not retaliate at all. So if a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the left. If he forces you to walk a mile with him, walk with him too. If he takes your coat, give him your cloak also. Give to him who asks from them, and him who would borrow from you, do not turn away. He's taking this to a whole new level. He said, I'm not telling you to limit your, your retaliation. He said, I'm telling you not to retaliate at all. You know what happens if you don't retaliate? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what happens when we do retaliate against evil? If someone yells at you, and you yell back, you know, you don't, we don't look much different than the person who did us wrong. It just brings out the flesh in us. When we start try fighting evil by retaliating against it, we look like the evil that we're retaliating against. He says, I tell you, don't retaliate. Jesus gave us a perfect example in his life. He's on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. But how can we not retaliate against evil? If we are abiding in the things of this world, if we're abiding in our rights, if we're abiding in the fact that people will treat us properly, if we're abiding in the fact that people will esteem our opinion or listen to us, and they don't listen to us, they don't esteem our opinion, well, then we will retaliate. But if we're abiding in Christ, no matter what people do, it will not elicit this negative response from us. You know, we're told in Scripture, Jesus didn't give his heart to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. Jesus did not give his heart to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. That didn't mean he was a skeptic. He was a realist. He knew that men and women were not stable. So why would he go stabilize himself? Why would he secure himself in that which was not stable? So he never gave himself over to men. But as a result, he could live with the most unstable, independable, insecure people and never react to them, but always respond in love to them. Only two places in scriptures do we hear Jesus ever ask anything of man. He asked the woman at the well for this, some water. <laughs> He asked his three best friends to just stay awake and pray for him in his greatest hour of need. We don't see that either of those requests got fulfilled. But Jesus spent his life abiding in the Father. 
So as we abide in the Father and people slap us on the right cheek, that means insult us. We don't respond. Someone steals from us, we don't try to steal back. Someone forces us to do something we don't want to do, we do it happily. There was a, there was a custom back in those days where the Roman soldiers would make people carry their bags for them. And you know, the people would sit there and complain the whole way. Well, Jesus said, not only don't complain the whole way, but walk a mile and then walk another one afterwards. Do good. So the very next verse we get into, he says, you've been heard it's been said of old, you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But he said, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever loved your enemies? Have we ever loved our enemies? Have we ever done good to those who have persecuted us? What does it mean to love our enemies? Does this mean we want to invite them to our birthday party? Does this mean we have an emotional affection for them? No. To love your enemies is this. I choose to bless you, not to curse you. I wish you good and not evil. Again, a lot of this has to do with our understanding of the gospel. If we understand, you know, you can go into the very worst prison in, this, in, in, the, in the world and find the worst prisoner in the worst prison, and you know what? If you listen to his story, you will understand exactly why he's there. It doesn't excuse his actions, but it's understandable. It's understandable. And if we truly understand the gospel... It's by grace we have been saved through faith. And even that faith was not of ourselves. It was God's gift to us, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we truly understand that it's only by God's grace that we're sitting here saved today, then when people do bad things to us, when people do bad things that hurt us, we understand there by the grace of God go I that I'm not doing that very same thing to them, or to somebody else. There, by the grace of God, go I. This is why Jesus says, judge not. Judge not. You have no idea. We have been extended much grace in this room. Much grace. By grace, we were saved. And people out who are not in the body of Christ are without this grace. And they're operating out of a different operating system. They're doing the best they can. And, you know, here's a thought. Every one of you and myself who are in the room today, this is as close to hell as we will ever get. Did you get that? This is as close to hell as we will ever get. But to everybody who is not in Christ, this world is as close to heaven as they will ever get. This world is as close to heaven as they will ever get. And those are to be greatly pitied. And we have, should have much mercy upon them. And the people who rub you and I the worst, those are the very people who Father probably wants to show the life of Christ to through us. 
That person who you avoid and you don't want to be around and you see them coming, you want to go the other way, those are the, probably the very people that Jesus wants to touch through you and me. Now, why do those people disturb us? Because we are abiding in something that those people threaten. And we must confess that, repent of it, and say, Jesus, I want to abide in you and you alone, so no matter what that person does or what that person doesn't do, it doesn't threaten my security, and I can show them forth love and peace in the Holy Spirit. Somebody's phone is still alive. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine on the good and the bad and the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. What does that say? Jesus said God is good to all kind of people. He's good to good people. He's good to bad people. He makes the sun to shine on the good and the bad. He makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God treats all people fairly in this realm. And he's saying to us, therefore, go and do likewise. Bless those who do hate you. Do good to those. Bless them. I choose to bless you, not to curse you. I wish you well and not harm. We talked about that grace and, and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. So you're at McDonald's waiting in line, and somebody breaks in front of you. Mercy is not grabbing him by the head and pulling him back and saying, I was here. Mercy is not grabbing him. Grace is then running up in front of him and saying, may I buy your lunch? Mercy and grace. Mercy is not giving them what they deserve, and grace is giving them what they don't deserve. And that's what he wants us to do to our enemies, is give them mercy and grace. Mercy, not giving them what they deserve, and grace. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I guarantee you, anyone outside the pale of Christ does not know what they're doing. They have not a clue. He goes on to say, you've heard it's been said. He says, he, it's a warning. He says, I say to you, do not do your good works before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father in heaven. But when you do your good works, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your alms that you're giving will be in secret and your Father will reward you openly. Now Jesus is talking about motives. Motives. Motives for doing good works. He's saying don't do good works so people will see you and congratulate you for those works. Someone has said, you know, a lot of us wouldn't really mind being martyred. A lot of us wouldn't mind really being martyred as long as we were martyred before millions of people, millions of people who we wanted to see us martyred. That's not a martyr. That's a person, unlike Matthew 5, 3, who is not poor in spirit, but is proud, sufficient, independent, and wants to be recognized for the good he does. He wants to be recognized, or she wants to be recognized for what she's given, for how she serves, for how they pray. Jesus teaches us, freely have you received, freely give. We have received completely freely all that we have, our salvation 
It came as a gift of God. Now, in our giving, it should be the same. We give free, expecting nothing in return. No one to notice us, no one to applaud us, no one to say, well, I can't believe you did that. No one to say, oh, thank you for that. We receive freely, give freely. Give to the glory of God. Do our good works, not unto men, but unto God. Paul talks about it. He says, do your work heartily as to the Lord, not unto the men, not unto man. It's the Lord Jesus that you serve. He also talks about masters and slaves. Slaves, obey your masters as your service to God. And then Jesus goes on to say, and you've heard, and I tell you, when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites who stand in the street corners and in the synagogues that they may be seed of men. But when you pray, go into your closet and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. It's the same thing. Don't be religious. Don't have religious habits. So men will see, oh, you know, you're really something. What's all that about? That is about pride. That is about wanting to be like God, not in righteousness, but in power and position, activity. Not in the goodness of his personality, but in the greatness of his being. It's wanting to be worshipped. And that's what Lucifer wanted to be. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like God but not in the goodness of his personality, but in the greatness of his being. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Don't do your good works to be worshipped by men. Don't pursue your religious activities or your religious work to be worshipped by men. Don't do it. God shares his glory with, with no one. And then he goes on to say, and when you pray... Don't be as the hypocrites who, don't be as the heathen who use useless repetitions of words to pray. But he says, when I tell you, when you pray, go into your closet, shut your door, pray to your fathers in secret, and he will reward you openly, and don't use these vain repetitions. But he says, now let me tell you how to pray. Now let me tell you very briefly, we can change the Lord's Prayer just a little bit. Because the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus gave it, was before his death and resurrection before his triumphant victory over death. So we can pray the Lord's Prayer like this, Father, holy, holy, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, which is what? All that is good, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your kingdom come within me. Your will be done within me and to me on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread upon yourself to feed. We've been talking about that. Because now we understand who the bread of life is. Give us this day our daily bread upon yourself to feed. And here's the difference. And as you have forgiven us all of our trespasses in Christ, as you, Father, have forgiven us all of our trespasses, all of our sins in Christ, so empower us to forgive all who sinned against us. Because as Jesus gave this prayer, that hadn't happened. But now the atonement... The sacrifice, the glorification of Christ has happened. So we can say, Father, as you forgave, give us all of our trespasses in Christ, so empower us to forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from our flesh, from the evil to come, and from the evil one. Again, this is the hand of a beggar reaching out to a king. Deliver us. Deliver us from our flesh. That's the body of the old man. Deliver us from our flesh from the evil to come and the evil one. 
lead us away from temptation. We are hopeless. We, we're prone to stray. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from our flesh, from the evil to come, and from the evil one. We can pray the Lord's Prayer like that now because he sits at the right hand of God, constantly making intercession for us, and because he died without grace, that you and I never have to go through anything without grace. Let me close this quickly in prayer, and uh, next two Sundays we'll try to finish this Sermon on the Mount. Father, thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus, who not only by example but by word uh, showed us and and leads us uh, into the life that you have recreated us to experience. And Father, we pray now that as we conclude the service this morning that uh, you will fill us with your spirit, that you will give us the grace to abide in you uh, before every man in circumstance we find ourselves in, that every man in circumstance may be affected and infected by the life of Christ in us. And as Mark shared, that that light uh, would shine through our brokenness uh, into this very, very dark world and bring light and life to many, the hope of Christ, uh, as we live this life as broken vessels, poured out wine, broken bread, uh, in the name of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.